You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I believe this is technically the bad, the bad, um, because the Milwaukee Bucks made a trade on Friday. We did not record it on Friday. Um, I am sitting here talking to you from my hotel room in Toronto. I just got done with lunch and am waiting for Bucks Raptors to get started tonight. I think if we can be efficient with all of this. I'm going to get this out for all of you uh, here Sunday afternoon so you can listen to us break down the trade. And then after the game, Frank and I will reconvene and talk about uh, both the Raptors and the Warriors game. So we're not going to do any of that right now. We are only going to talk about the trade uh, that the Bucks made, and that is going to be it for right now. So if you're expecting anything else, sorry, you're going to have to wait until later tonight. So with all that being said, Joining me, as he always does, is Frank Men, my good friend and the founder of Brewhoop.com. Frank, how are you doing? Uh, I'm pretty good, Eric. It's uh, early Sunday afternoon. The Packers have not lost yet, um, so that, that <laughs> makes me a little bit happier. I don't even I guess I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to be rooting for the Packers to win at this point, but, um, you know, it's not the end. Oh, that's a good point. It's not the NBA, so I don't really think about tanking as much. But um, basketball, uh, a, v- a very eventful weekend that we're most of the way through now. The Raptors game, obviously, this afternoon, but... Um, yeah, the Friday uh, Friday luster of the Bucks Warriors game was um, definitely thrown off a bit um, just by not the luster, but the 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 discussion points around it were thrown off just a bit by a pretty big trade. Not in the terms of um, impacting the Bucks immediate rotation, although I think it will a little bit there. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the Bucks' likely luxury tax challenges. They're um, ability to retain even just the current roster, not not even really thinking about um, adding some new shiny piece next summer, but really even just keeping together the current roster was going to be extremely difficult next summer with uh, John Henson and Matthew Del Vadova and to a lesser extent, Tony Snell's deals on the books. And um, they addressed that in a very big way on Friday, shipping Delhi and, and Henson to, to Cleveland and um, essentially the, the big piece of it. And you can, you can kind of go into maybe the details I, I, hope you have them in front of you because I don't know or remember all of them off the top of my head, but essentially a protected future first round pick um, from the Bucks uh, in the early 2020s. Uh, it'll, I, I don't believe it has the possibility. So here are the protections. Uh, the first rounder would convey uh, if between 15 and 30 in 2021, 11 and 30 in 2022, 11 to 24 in 2023, nine and 30 in 2024 or become second round picks that according to Zach Lowe. Yeah. So likely a 2021 first round pick. That's um, I guess that's the last year that uh, of Giannis's current contract. Um, so obviously the Bucks planning to be good uh, up until that point. And even if they're not like, you know, 
in the worst case scenario where Giannis says he's not going to take the Supermax in 2020 and they trade him to try to salvage something, uh, the darkest of timelines, um, and they're bad in 2021, uh, there's some rollover protections and things like that. And, you know, this, this pick will never be higher than I think, uh, what number nine. Um, and if, it, you know, if it kind of keeps going, getting pushed, then, uh, then it becomes two second rounders. So, you know, less downside in that than, than some of but Still, a future first round pick that's that's valuable. They give up the future first round pick. They give up a future second round pick. Although I think in all the mess of the Washington third team piece, it sounds like the Bucks also got back a second round pick and had the protections taken off the Washington pick. So net net, I think Eric net net, the effective move is Delhi Henson a first round pick for George Hill, who again is paid nineteen million dollars this year, eighteen million dollars next year, but. Only one million of that is guaranteed next year, so he's effectively kind of like an expiring contract. And they also net Jason Smith as sort of backup big man depth from the Washington Wizards. It could have been Sam Decker, it appears, but um, they uh, ended up making it a three team deal. And Decker, instead of coming to Milwaukee, uh, ends up in Washington. Is that is that it? Did we cover it more or less, Eric? Is that is that really what? Yeah, was? no, I, I think you got it. I, I think it essentially the the I think the easiest way to look at it is I think you can kind of scrape away all of the the smaller parts of it you can scrape away the second rounder you can scrape away jason smith like again those are real things and and they matter but you know scrape those away and essentially what you're looking at is um moving delvadova and henson and specifically their money next year for no guaranteed money next year and george hill this year so uh, to me, that's that's kind of what it is. And to do so, you had to give up a first round pick. And like you said, uh, George Hill only has one million dollars guaranteed next year. Um, I, I'm not going to guarantee that the Bucks uh, do not take on that contract. Uh, and you know, there's no way to guarantee that, you know, maybe George Hill becomes an all star here in Milwaukee. Um, but it seems likely to say that they will not be taking that. So instead of uh, roughly 19.3 million that Delhi and Henson would have been on the bucks books for on the books for the bucks next year, uh, the bucks will only have $1 million on the books uh, because of what is guaranteed to George Hill. Even if they decide not to have him on the roster anymore, Jason Smith an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. So essentially they just grabbed $18 million and I'm always weary when when talking about this because, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that the Bucks now have that money in cap space, but I would say here that they do have that money in flexibility and they do have that money to kind of help around as they try to make some moves uh, for next year. So uh, maybe you can go into the cap ramifications a little bit about about all of that just because um as i've mentioned throughout the year is we've talked about pretty much the entirety uh of this season podcast and even during the off season uh the bucks were gonna kind of be in a spot where if everything worked out well they were gonna have some really tough decisions to make because the entirety of the starting lineup outside of Giannis Kumbo need a new contract for next year. Um, and now, I mean, they've largely given themselves the space by getting rid of Delhi and Henson uh, to kind of take care of that. I think both of us were thinking maybe they'd get rid of one of them and, you know, bite the bullet and give up the first to get rid of one of them. Um, and instead they got rid of both of them. So they do have some space. Maybe you can explain
Yeah, and I think like as people think about like how how to feel about this contract or this move, um, obviously I think any deal that involves moving first round picks for future cap flexibility is really hard to judge today. Like we're going to have to make a lot of assumptions, and you know the 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 final judgment on this deal um, is is not going to be really until conveyed until um, down the road. And and again, like if you know the Cavaliers keep that pick and in 2021 they land some crazy talent at the you know let's hope late in the first round because the bucks are good then people are still going to probably say well geez the bucks gave up you know got cap flexibility and they gave up whatever a first round pick that became this really good player but i mean this is just kind of the way the the market goes if you want to you know if you make bad if you make bad signings and you back yourself into a corner then you have to pay to get out of that. And so- I wrote this in my article at The Athletic that just went up, but in two off-seasons, John Hammond signed the following contracts. Henson for four years, $44 million. Greg Monroe for three years, $50 million. Del Vadova for four years, $38.5 million. Mirza Toledovich for three years, $33 million. And Miles Plumley for four years, $52 million. That was just two off-seasons. Like, you're gonna have to pay for that. Like, you made massive mistakes. The the crazy part is the Plumley one was by far, I would say, the worst and most like yep. impossible to reconcile because it came after you'd already given those other big guys the money, and then you gave Plumley. I mean, technically more money total. Um, but but the the irony is he was the guy that they got off the quickest, which is still just like insane that that they were able to to dump him as quickly as they did. Um, and next, they still pay $2 million a year exactly. uh, for Spencer Hawes buyout. Exactly. But yes. they're, they're still paying the price of that Spencer Hawes buyout um, through next summer. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the way, the way I view this is essentially this gives you a chance to retain your current roster. Namely, you have a chance to retain Chris Milton, Eric Bledsoe, Malcolm Brogdon, and Brooke Lopez were the guys that, you know, we would say are the, the relevant guys who need a new contract next summer. And again, we can debate, you know, what each of those guys should get paid and, you know, whether Brogdon's a good fit and, you know, Bledsoe's age and whether you really want to, you know, invest in him, blah, blah, blah. Right. Totally get that. You know, Chris Middleton, certainly some, a difficult week uh, on the court and off. Um, it seems, you know, um, with, uh, with him not being able to play on Wednesday and struggling in, uh, in the game last Saturday and getting benched and then really not playing well on Friday. Um, but you know, okay. Like I'm expecting Chris Middleton to get through this. Um, so either way, though, you have a chance to kind of keep all these guys together. And, you know, I think the, the bottom line was that without getting rid of those two contracts, it was very likely that not so much even that you might not be able to keep like one of those guys, but it might be really hard to actually keep two of those guys. And, you know, Lopez is interesting because you know he he was signed with the biannual exception this summer. He's going to be free agent next summer. There's no like bird rights that they can use to just give him more money than the 3.3, 3.4 million he's owed right now. So you'd have to use either cap space, which, you know, the Bucks were not in any um, way to have, <laughs> we're, we're not on track to have any of, um, or the yep. mid-level exception. And, um, you know, that'll probably be around 9 million if you're uh, not a taxpayer. Uh, but if you are a taxpayer, and again, because of the Bucks' obligations and the likelihood that they would try to resign at least two out of three of those other guys that we just mentioned, um, it was very likely the Bucks also wouldn't have the full mid-level to offer to Brooke Lopez. So they'd be going into the tax and then, you know, be fair, deep, fairly deep in the tax with only whatever it is, five or six million a year to offer Lopez, which again, I don't know what his market will be next summer. Probably depends a fair bit on how he finishes the season. And, you know, I mean, if he's like 
played off the floor in the playoffs and that probably will hurt his market, but you never know. Right. I mean, um, guys that, yep. that can be rim protectors who also shoot threes the way Brooke does. Uh, I think there is going to be a market for them. I don't know if it's, you know, 15 million or 10 million or 6 million or what. Um, but I think it's gonna be more than 3.4 million. Um, so the bottom line is the bucks were in a very difficult spot or projecting to be in a very difficult spot. And, you know, I think they, um, they now have sort of, to some extent, extricated themselves from that. And they at least have the opportunity to offer, you know, legitimate contracts to all the guys we mentioned. And if I just do kind of the quick math, right, I just tried to kind of figure out like, okay, what's a scenario where at the end of next summer, they could actually be in a position where they could offer Lopez, you know, something close to the full um, non-taxpayer mid-level, you know, I'm just guessing, right? Because that's the most really that that they could offer if if they keep all those other guys anyway. Maybe that's enough to keep him. Maybe it's not. Hopefully, he would like to stay and things continue to go well, and you want to keep him. But um, but the scenario I kind of worked out is, I just assumed worst case with Middleton. Let's just assume he gets a max. He, you have to max him for his first year uh, contract or first year salary next year is a max number, which would be thirty two point seven projected. Um, and again not to debate Chris Middleton's value, whatever, but there is going to be a robust market for him and it won't be cheap to keep him. Right. So maybe you get him for less than that, but let's just say it's that right. To be conservative. You then have about 31 million to split between Bledsoe and Brogdon, where you would still be far enough under the tax slash tax apron, which is roughly 6 million above the tax. We, we talked about this last summer a little bit as well, but basically it sort of works out like if you're going to projecting to be over what's called the tax apron, which is generally 6 million more than the luxury tax, which is supposed to be the luxury tax should be around thir- 132 next summer. Um, then basically it like you, you can't, you can't go over that number if you're using the full more than the taxpayer mid-level. And we saw that with Urson because Urson got more than the taxpayer mid-level exception. And that's why the bucks then became hard capped because basically it was like, well, you know, if you're going to spend the non-taxpayer mid-level, then you can't be, blowing way through the tax. And so it's sort of one of these like, I don't know if self-fulfilling prophecy is the way to think about it, but, um, but that that's a kind of a similar situation likely to come this summer where again, if the bucks want to offer Lopez more than the tax pyramid level, um, then they will be hard capped and like any team that offers um, the 10 non tax pyramid level. So again, you got, you know, let's say a max for Chris, you've got 31 million. You can split between Bledsoe and Brogdon. If you want to keep the, both of those guys, um, and then you could still offer Lopez probably something close to 9 million and I'm keeping on the books, uh, you know, about 2.6 million reserved for the bucks first round pick next year. Um, you know, and obviously DJ Wilson's contract's been picked up on makers contracts been picked up. I'm assuming that Christian Wood, Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton, who are all basically making close to the minimum next summer, you'd keep them just because you can't afford to go spend more money on guys. So they all, I think, you know, in, in theory are guys that, that you'd want to keep maybe, you know, one of them leaves or whatever you trade one of them, blah, blah, blah. But, um, but something like that. So there's at least a, a, uh, route you can sort of trace at this point to keeping that group of players together. Um, and again, I, I'm not sure what Eric Bledsoe and Malcolm Brogdon expect to get in my little spreadsheet. I penciled Bro- Bledsoe in at 17 million and Brogdon at 14. I don't think Brogdon is worth 14. I don't know if Bledsoe is going to be worth 17 in two or three years. Um, So I don't know what those contracts end up being, but at least in terms of the math for next summer, there's a way you can do it. You would still be over the luxury tax if you keep all those guys, but you wouldn't be massively over the tax and you wouldn't be over the tax so far, you know, that you, um, you know, that you can't, you can't, uh, you can't give Lopez a reasonable offer. So that that's why. And and I think really the, the, uh, the way I'll conclude is just by saying, 
trading first round picks sucks, right? They're assets to use in other trades. They, you know, if used well, obviously can be critical in terms of giving you valuable young pieces on cheap value, right? Like look at the Raptors and, you know, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam in particular, you know, those guys make very little money and they're, you know, really useful rotation pieces for, for that team. And those are the kinds of guys when you have really big contract numbers from guys like Giannis and, you know, Chris and whoever else, you really need value at other spots. And, you know, like the Bucks now, they're getting that kind of value from, from Connaughton in particular, hopefully Sterling Brown continues to play and give them value. Um, but, but that's obviously a, a challenge. So, you know, it's it sort of one of these things like, should we bemoan some of those previous contracts that were given out that put the Bucks in this spot, particularly like the Henson and Delhi ones, obviously, and to a lesser extent, Tony Snell as well? Yeah, I think we can certainly question those. Absolutely. Right. And but, we did. And but but fundamentally, you know, you got to play it as it lies. Right. And if I was in John Horse position and or Budenholzer or, or Bike Budenholzer's position, <laughs> whoever, right, in the Bucks front office slash ownership group, and you offer me this con- uh, this deal, I would take it and I would feel pretty good about it. Because again, um, you know, once you are in a position where you can credibly contend for a conference championship and potentially a trip to the finals, um, the line between, you know, mortgaging the future and uh, sacrificing unnecessarily the long term at the, you know, for, for the short term, the line between, you know, that and just giving yourself a chance to compete and contend and make the most of a player of Giannis's caliber and, you know, do what you can to convince him that you are serious enough for him to, you know, again, sign that supermax contract, uh, in a couple summers. Um, it's a thin, it's a thin line. Right. And, um, I think you can argue both sides, but for me, um, I think the bucks are, are good enough. They have the potential to continue to be good enough that, you know, I think you, you have to be willing to, to make some sacrifices given some of the mistakes that you've made previously. So, um, so I give it the the frank seal of approval um, with with those caveats. And um, again, I think the other piece we haven't really talked about is is George Hill being uh, certainly a much better player than Matthew Delvadova, and I would say um, potentially a more useful piece this season, even if he's gone next summer, than uh, John Henson. So um, so I think that's another kind of interesting dimension to this as well: the fact that they get better while still getting cap relief next summer. So interesting trade on on many fronts. Um, very debatable. Very long time before we probably know the full accounting. Um, but again, I think a move that uh, that I think made sense for the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think you had mentioned the idea that you know you got to find ways to to find guys that that can make an impact on the cheap. And you know, to the Bucks' credit, uh, like Brooke Lopez and. Uh, Pat Connaughton, probably two of the better value signings of last summer. If, and I would probably argue Brooke Lopez was the best value signing of the summer at just 3.4 million, 3.3 million, somewhere in there. Um, so, I mean, I think they did kind of find all of some of those cheap pieces. And that's why you're seeing a, a really competent roster put together right now is, you know, they did make those moves and they did find a way, but you know, the, the opposite side of the coin on that always is, well, if you find someone that's going to play well for you cheaply, they are going to get paid at some point. Um, and that's kind of what next year is. And uh, this move in many ways kind of accounts for that that increasing uh, check that you're going to have to write to those players. And um, yeah, I, I thought, I said this to you, we called each other right after the trade and talked about it a little bit, but um, I had said this to you on Friday night, but 
uh, I thought they were going to have to give up a first rounder to get rid of one of Dally or Henson. Like, I, I thought that was going to be kind of how it was going to have to get done. And it would have been protected in many ways, like uh, this one is protected. And maybe it would have been protected even better, like never in the top 15 or something like that. Like They, they might have been able to get away with that just for getting one of those off the books. But just getting off one of those made the idea of losing two of the four guys you mentioned probably unrealistic. Like You'd probably be able to keep three of them. And, you know, to own and this is such a bad thing to say, but to only give up a first rounder to get off the money of both, like I think it's pretty not terrible. <laughs> um, and we'll have to see kind of, we'll have to see what the going rate for eating contracts is. But I mean, I can't imagine, uh, I mean, I, I, 20 million, like that's a big number. That, that, that's, that's a, and I mean, it, after the, the counting's done with Dally Henson and Hill, it's going to be like 18 million that you essentially trade your first round pick for. And, but like, I think that's going to be, end up being pretty good. And uh, again, I haven't, I, I'm not really sure who is going to take on contracts and, and kind of what that will look like. But um, I mean, what the most recent one was about Kenneth Freed that the, that the Nets ate. Um, and got, I think, a first-rounder yeah. out of it. And obviously, these two contracts are bigger than that. Um, so I, I think in the end, it's probably going to end up, when you look at the rest of the market market being pretty good, and for the Bucks, really good, because it, it was, to me, hugely important to not just prepare for next year, but to kind of remove that cloud uh, away from ne- next year. And again, we I don't think we've really seen much of... Uh, much stat stat hunting or like contract future contract hunting or contract year kind of stuff where guys are taking too many shots or trying to get their stats or anything like that. Like I think the the starting five has largely bought into hey if we win fifty five games we're all going to get paid because that means we'll all have contributed to meaningful basketball and you know obviously I think that's a good thing but you know if you get a little bit later in the year you hit a slump and things aren't going quite right and all of a sudden everyone's trying to figure out how they're going to get their money. Well, you know, maybe you see a, a little bit more of that. Maybe you see a little bit more of that selfishness. So I think it, it, I saw some people be like, Oh, why would you do this so early? Why wouldn't you wait longer to see if you can move this money? And it's just like, well, one, you can still move George Hill because you got it in just before the deadline for when traded players can get traded again. So George Hill can still be moved if you want to make him a part of a larger deal, but also, you know, Removing that now, I think, kind of removes some of the questions. Like, if you are Chris Middleton and you really want to stay in Milwaukee, but you know that there's going to be other teams that are going to be out there offering max, and, you know, maybe you thought, oh, man, Milwaukee's kind of in a tough spot. spot. I'm not sure that they'll max. I'd really like to stay, but I don't know. I might have to go somewhere else. Like, now that's gone. Like, you can you can just kind of count on whatever Milwaukee needs to do to keep you, they can do that. Or, you know, if you're Eric Bledsoe and you thought things were going pretty well and maybe you don't want to leave, like all these things, uh, like I just think there's, there's so much to be said for um, kind of how guys can just play without having that in the back of their mind. And again, you know, you hope guys don't do that, but I think we're all human beings and we understand that guys are going to have things like that in their heads. So I think that really helps. And yeah, I mean, I think this, this sets them up for a spot where uh, they can do what they need to do next off season. And, you know, if they lose one of those guys, like they're also in a spot where they actually have room. And 
and could go out and try to find a replacement. And again, you're not going to find you, you or I shouldn't say you're not going to find you. Maybe you're not going to find exactly what you want. Uh, maybe you're not going to find an exact clone of whatever player it is that you lose, but you do actually have some space to go out and do it because before this, um, you know, I had done, I did a mailbag at the athletic uh, just last week. And, you know, I had someone ask at the, one of my last questions in the mailbag was like, Oh, you know, who are some names that would excite me? Like if the bucks are going to lose any of these guys. And my answer to the question was, I can't give you any names because the bucks literally won't be able to go out and get any, like they're going to be over the cap. Like they're, they're just not going to have any space. So if they want to, do something they have to retain these guys now you don't have to retain these guys you've given yourself the flexibility to retain them um but if things go sideways with one of them okay like you you've got yourself in a spot and if you sequence things right that you can actually use some space and go out and get replacements for them so i i just think there's a whole lot there that um just in one swoop the bucks kind of cleaned up their cap and again uh, maybe when you add it all up, it wasn't one swoop because they also had to find a way to get rid of Miles Plumley. They also had to find a way to get rid of Greg Monroe. They also had to find a way to get rid of um, Mirza Toledovich, which again, like they didn't get rid of him. Like his pulmonary emboli did that, but um, you know they had to find a way to get off all that money, and and they did so. So um, yeah, I think they're they're pretty well set up for next year, and uh, for that reason, I do think that. If you're grading this trade out, even with giving the first pick out, like I think it's still a win. And uh, we didn't talk about George Hill yet. We do you have anything else on the money, on the cap, uh, other things that you thought you're thinking about before we talk about George Hill a little bit? Yeah, well, I think just you know, um, we talked about sort of the keep the band together type type option. I think if people are curious. Um, you know, beyond that, well, what, what if you don't keep the band together? Um, the way it kind of works out, uh, let's say there's a scenario where Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe both decide that they're going to go someplace else. All right. Or the Bucks don't want to keep Bledsoe in the middle. I, I mean, I'd, I'd be very surprised at this point if Middleton, you know, doesn't get a huge offer from the Bucks. Um, but let's just say he, he, he leaves or whatever. Um, in that scenario, I mean, you could have up to around 40 million in cap room uh, to go out this summer. Um, but like we've talked about in the past, I mean, you know, the idea that you're going to let Middleton and Bledsoe walk or, or net, you'd lose both those guys and, you know, you go out and spend, you know, I think Kemba Walker, for instance, like his max would be, I think, around 33 million as well, similar to Middleton's. Um, you know, I mean, that's not like, you know, I don't know if that's a net win because you're losing um two kind of fringe all-star players this year at least for you know one kind of probably better player but you know again like it's it's hard to look at this as saying like oh now the bucks have all this cap now they can add a a superstar or a star on top of what they have i mean there still would have to be sacrifices in order to do that and um you know if you did keep middleton in in his cap hold is is just short of 20 million and let's say you say you wanted to replace bledsoe right let's say bledsoe has a crappy playoffs again and you're like all right we got to move on um if you wanted to go and, and use that, use you know, go back into free agency. Um, in this case, you would have something on the order of about twenty million, probably, to go out and spend. I'm keeping a cap hold for Middleton and Brogdon in that scenario, um, assuming Hill is is released. Um, so you could actually go out and spend some money, but again, like you know, twenty million isn't going to get you Kemba Walker. Um, you know, you're, you're probably not. You know, I don't think you're going to upgrade on Bledsoe uh, most likely um, this summer, or at least not significantly. Uh, beyond kind of what you have so but I think the upside is like 
you know, you do at least have some insurance where if Bledsoe had walked previously or, or Middleton, um, you wouldn't really have much of any flexibility. You know, you wouldn't have the flexibility to replace them, um, you know, to, to kind of have a lot of money to go to replace them. So that's a definitely a, an important thing. Um, worth noting as well, George Hill's salary for 2019-20 guarantees, I think, July 1st or July 2nd um, of next summer. So unfortunately, I mean, well, I guess the good news is you're probably going to know heading into free agency, like roughly where you stand with Bledsoe and Middleton. Um, you know, they're both technically extension eligible. So, I mean, you can have negotiations with them. And you know, even if you couldn't, uh, you know, these things tend to get, tend to get worked out uh, in advance of July 1. So the Bucks will have a good idea of, of whether or not, you know, one or both those guys are going to come back or be willing to come back. Um, so but but again, like you do have to make a decision on Hill on July 1. I, you know, as you said, I don't. I guess we can't completely rule out the possibility. Maybe there's some scenario where the Bucks would want to keep George Hill. Um, you know, maybe Bledsoe. But even if you do, you probably want to get him for more years at a lower price. Like, yeah. Well, although the interesting thing is, like, the Bucks could still have a lot of flexibility. Like, if the Bucks didn't add a ton of su- t- salary next summer, um, and I don't really know a scenario where you know you can really probably do that. I don't think that's really a realistic scenario. But um, you know, the summer of 2020. Uh, you could still have a fair bit of flexibility if you had like Hill on a one-year contract. Um, I don't think that's a likely scenario. Um, we talked about that, I think, last summer. Like, hey, like if you just give Bledsoe a huge one-year deal, um, that might actually give you kind of a ton of flexibility in the summer of 2020, which may be, you know, a more realistic way to to kind of have flexibility than than uh, than try to do something this coming summer when they had all this stuff kind of piling up in the last year of the Delian and Henson deal. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's room, there's path to, I would say, replacing um, Bledsoe um, in particular with like a, another talented player. Um, but keep in mind too, if you're operating as a team under the cap, so if you have 20 million in cap space, that means you don't have the full mid level to spend on on Brooke Lopez either, because you're renouncing the mid level to have cap room. So you'd have the room mid level, but that's I don't know what is it, like half as much or so. You you know you'd ha- you wouldn't have as much money to to spend on Brooke if you wanted to not use technically your cap room. So um, so in any case, I think there's there's I think the bottom line a lot more flexibility. Um, again, I think the most likely scenario is that you know the Bucks eat Hills one million dollars next summer and and use the flexibility to to spend money elsewhere um but you know george hill maybe this is the transition to talk about hill i mean a guy that we've talked about for a long time as a potential really nice fit even before the blood set trade <laughs> with Giannis, and obviously he's older now he's what 32 has not had big seasons the last you know this season or last season um and been kind of in weird situations playing in sacramento where they were kind of doing a youth movement and then ending up in cleveland where obviously he was not really playing on the ball as much with lebron around and this year you know just sort of being the dumpster fire that is cleveland but he's continued to be a solid player a really efficient scorer you know can defend both backward positions i can't tell you how well his defense has looked the past two years but you know historically he's been at least a solid to good defender um and certainly a guy that that brings the bucks you know added versatility and um you know i think you know if we just think about george hill i mean this is a really i think rotation a nice rotation upgrade especially given henson was going to be out for months on end anyway so you know effectively throwing george hill in for delhi just this season um i think is a big win and i think gives the bucks a lot more flexibility a lot more insurance as well in the case of brogdon or, or bledsoe getting hurt yeah that was the one thing i was thinking about was just how often they end up using brogdon or bledsoe where it's just like oh you know if one of those two goes down 
that's going to be a lot of Pat Connaughton or that's going to be uh, a lot of, I mean, at the time it would have been Delhi, and it's just like, oh, that, that doesn't sound great. And, and now uh, I think they've given themselves some insurance from that. Um, they've also given themselves uh, a little bit of flexibility if, uh, I don't know, you want to trade a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you could, you could do that as well. I don't know who you'd, what salary you'd pair with him to get to a place where uh, you'd, you'd want that player, but still you, you give yourself a, a lot more options because George Hill is the type of player that, you know, he's pretty much been a starter his, his whole career. After his first three years in San Antonio and then his first year in Indianapolis, like he's been a starter. Like he just starts games and uh, he's going to shoot 40% from three. And I think he averages about three assists per game for his career. So like we talked about before the year, um, you know, why Pat Connaughton may be interesting because, oh, well, Bud seems to like guys that can shoot a little bit, pass a little bit, handle a little bit. And, oh, Pat Connaughton's one of those guys. George Hill's definitely one of those guys. He, he can really help out in that way. And, um, you know, especially if, if you don't love the looks that uh, Thon has given you at center, if you don't love the looks that Jason Smith has given you at center, like you have George Hill in the mix, you, you have more small lineup combination possibilities. You, you have more uh, of a way to go small and not be sacrificing a lot of talent. So I, I just think it, it really does open up a lot of pills, possibilities. And I think George Hill becomes uh, a very good rotation piece that, you know, at $19 million, he is not worth anywhere near that. But if you're the Bucks, you don't give a shit about $19 million because it's not yours to pay. Like you, you, you kind of got, you got rid of Deli and Henson for this. And you know, that 19 million is whatever, and you're going to get a, a valuable rotation player. And I just think it's going to be really helpful. And um, yeah, especially with this Bucks offense, everything's pretty easy. Um, I don't think there's a lot of complexity to pick up real quickly. Like you, you get in one of the five spots, you get ready and get your hands ready to shoot a three and you get to play with Giannis and things are pretty good. And I, I think George Hill is going to be really helpful and immediately be in the Bucks top 10 guys. And, um, you know, especially in a regular season, having more guys that you really count on, uh, can help accumulate wins, which is going to be important for this Bucks team. Uh, uh, obviously they have the Raptors, uh, tonight, but, you know, that kind of thing, how many wins you can stack, is it really important uh, once you get to the playoffs as far as home court? And, you know, having a guy like George Hill can really help cover for some injuries and make things a little bit easier uh, during the regular season. And then this is a guy that does have some postseason experience and, uh, you know, should be able to help out in, in that regard as well. So, uh, yeah, I think the the focus is definitely the future, but I think it'd be impossible to deny that the Bucks got better in the present with the trade as well. Yeah, and to put some Hill's career, 38% shooter from three. Not historically a high volume shooter, though. 4.1 per 36 over his career. Um, last, the last really couple of years, um, let's just see, the last three years, 4.5, 5.4, and 4.1 um, per 36. So, you know, again, we'll be interested to see how much playing in Mike Budenholzer's offense maybe pumps that up a little bit. Um, you know, again, he's, he is by no means the, you know, off the dribble, Kemba Walker, take a ton of threes type, point guard that maybe we all dream of but um as far as being a guy who can spot up off the ball um can play with or without it um you know i think he's going to be a really nice fit um and uh you know 
last few years, I mean, every year he's 58 to 60, 61% true shooting. So he's been uh, an efficient scorer, even though he um, doesn't really get to the line as much anymore. Um, but he's, uh, he's typically been a good two point shooter, always close to or above 50% the last few years from two, and then shoots well enough on threes, even without a ton of volume to be, uh, to be pretty efficient. Um, you know, doesn't turn it over a ton. Uh, and, uh, Last two years have been kind of hard to really parse for him because after he has that great, albeit injury riddled season in Utah, uh, you know, last season he goes to Sacramento, he gets a ton of money, but um, from the start, his role was really unclear with De'Aaron Fox being drafted as well. And Sacramento obviously just not being very good. And then he goes to Cleveland and um, obviously had a chance to to go to the finals with the Cavs, but, you know, also kind of in a role where, um, you know, maybe he, I mean, he seemed like a guy who should play well with LeBron and, you know, you look at the numbers with him, um, you know, last year, the Wiz- the Cavaliers were plus 11.5 points per 100 better with him on the court than off. So the team played really well, the offense in particular, plus 10 points per 100 with him on versus, versus off. But, um, you know, he didn't put up big numbers himself. And so I think, you know, going forward, I think that's probably going to be a similar situation moving forward here. I don't, I don't foresee him suddenly becoming a 15 point per game guy in Milwaukee, given just the number of other scores on this team. Um, but can he be, you know, if he's getting 25 minutes per game, can he be, uh, you know, 10 to 12 points, few assists, knock down open shots, efficiently type type guy. I think he can do that. And I think it's going to be interesting to see um, how his minutes um, compare to some of the other guys that, that we've seen kind of sprinkled in, in the road, in the guard rotation. Um, so I think, again, it probably lets you cut back a little bit on um, maybe those games where you see Bledsoe and Brogdon playing a ton of minutes. And then, uh, you know, obviously guys like Connaughton, uh, DiVincenzo we saw was kind of not in the rotation last game, but him and Sterling Brown and Tony Snell, obviously all those guys could see a little bit of the chain reaction from Hill coming in and um, maybe getting more of those, those uh, you know, kind of shooting guard slash point guard minutes. And thankfully we don't need to see Delhi have to be thrust into any action anymore. Sorry, Delhi. Shout out to Delhi for being a good dude and a good teammate. But, um, you know, I think at this point we, we saw his, his, his value at this point was fairly limited in and on the court sense. And, um, you know, I, I think we also need to say, I mean, John Henson, I mean, I mean, longest tenured buck, obviously his career here has been up and down. Um, but you know, a guy that I think was always well liked, um, a guy who, uh, you know, as a teammate, I think people like, you know, Giannis had really nice things to say about both those guys the other night. So, uh, again, not to say that they won't be missed as people, but, you know, on the court uh, and certainly just from, you know, the, the business standpoint of the NBA, just, you know, this is a deal that I think, uh, you know, just kind of had to be done. And and we'll see. I think there's some questions a little bit, you know, Henson being out obviously limited the Bucks' big rotation anyway. So, you know, it's not like they're really losing John Henson this year so much as, um you know, they're, they're going to have more options, uh, at least in theory with Jason Smith in the fold, but, um, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really thrilled about the idea of having to rely on Jason Smith, but given just some of the things we've seen from, from Thon and, uh, you know, we may, may have to see a, a little more Jason Smith than we like, but, um, you know, certainly, uh, with a, a deal like this and so many ramifications, sort of easy to forget also just about the the people involved and, and especially, especially a guy like Henson, who obviously had been here a long time, really embraced Milwaukee and, and Delhi, who hadn't been here as long, but, you know, clearly a really liked, well-liked teammate. And, um, but you know, again, this is a reality of, of basketball. And, uh, if you don't produce, then, then, uh, your, your time with the team is, is probably going to be limited. Yeah. And I was going to say, I mean, 
Henson was uh, no doubt a, a great locker room guy, someone that everyone loves. And um, to Daly's credit, he's, he was the same. He was a guy that you know was a big signing for the team and then ended up being a guy that was participating in, in the in the three-on-three games with, with other guys that aren't getting a lot of playing time. Like It, it was quite a change from him um, from kind of where he first started in Milwaukee, and he handled it well. And, you know, both those guys were – great locker room guys and Giannis calls Dali one of I think he said the best teammate I've ever had and he even said that on Friday night um like he still believes that and um everyone loves John Henson Giannis kept talking about how often you saw John Henson smile and you know how important that is for locker room but the, the other thing I would say is uh George Hill and Jason Smith aren't exactly known as bad locker room guys <laughs> um George Hill is lauded all the time for his leadership his uh, just his general demeanor, his general outlook. So um, that'll be good. And he's coming to a team and a coach that knows him very well and Mike Boonholzer. And, you know, Jason Smith is uh, kind of a goofy, gregarious type of guy, which, you know, John Henson was kind of a goofy, gregarious type of guy. So um, I think both of those guys should fit in and uh, the Bucks will keep him moving. So I think that should be about it for us for today. Maybe there's some more thoughts, but I have a game to prepare for and get ready for. So I'm going to try to finish this up and get this out for all of you this afternoon. So for Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you later tonight.